I, over the last couple of years, I've taught on various topics. And I kind of keep shelving theological discussions to kind of explain why Christians might disagree on things like social justice or how they vote or response to COVID and such. And I, I broached a little of it in the Matthew study when we talked about the law in Matthew 5. So I've kind of had some loose ends I've wanted to tie up a little bit. Um, but as I, as I studied and tried to get into those differences and sometimes controversies, I felt I was jumping too fast over the more important things about the law. And so this first three-week series is going to just be on the basics, um, things that we should pretty much agree with, and I think will be really good for our heart, and, and that's my prayer. Um, so today we're going to talk about the character and the purpose of the law. Next week we're going to talk about problems of legalism, like adding to God's law. And then uh, in response to a very specific question we had a few months ago, we'll have a class on, is it ever okay to lie? And then in the future we'll get into things like moral, civil, ceremonial, natural and positive law, the continuity, discontinuity to debate type of things, and why some people think certain Old Testament commands apply and some don't. And then we might have a short series on the church's role in the world. Maybe it sounds like a very different topic than law, but whatever we do believe that the law of God is for us today and for society today, what is the church's role in prophesying that or working for cultural change in the world? That would be the third series. So we in our church are very careful to distinguish law and gospel. We're, we're very gospel-centered. And so the question, one way to ask the question for the class is, is it right, or do we find it, it, it's right, but we find it a hard thing to do to agree with David that he delights in the law of God, that he loves the law of the Lord? Is that something that we still ought to say as New Testament Christians? And if, if so, when we distinguish the law and the gospel, do we find ourselves kind of thinking negatively about the law in a way that David didn't and that we shouldn't? So that's kind of what I want to explore today. To start, Mark, would you mind reading Psalm 19? Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening his eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that last verse, you hear it from Tim actually a lot. That's our prayer today. The, uh, our words, our meditation, as we consider God's law, uh, his word in general, would be a delight. It would infuse life within us. Um, and most of all, because it drives us to our Savior. Amen. So when you hear the word law in the Bible, um, it, it can mean lots of things. The Hebrew is Torah, the Greek is nomos. We might have heard the word antinomian, against law. Sometimes when you hear discussions and debates on the law, people try to get all fancy, like, oh, this is the Torah, this isn't just any law. Well, Torah just means law. <laughs> like, you can make it mean something special or not. And so uh, law can just mean specific commands, right? You shall not murder, that's a law. Uh, it could mean scripture. It can just mean a term that means the word of God, and, and that could be the whole Old Testament. It could be the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Often you'll hear the phrase, the law and the prophets, referring to the whole Old Testament. So that was a section of the Old Testament. Uh, and then very often, it's, especially when it's the law, it's talking about the Mosaic law, because the specific context of our New Testament, much of the writings are to with this Jewish Gentile divide, this mystery of the gospel that's gone to the Gentiles. And so, you, one, as a Bible student, one thing you have to do is decide, okay, what, what is Paul or whoever talking about now when he's talking about the law? And then it can just mean a rule of life. Here's just a couple examples for you. Romans 3 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, on the face of that, you could say, well, Paul is talking about law in general. And he's wanting to emphasize we're not justified by works and just don't say of the law. But he goes on to say, or, was the, um, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? So in context, he's talking about not being justified by the Mosaic law because if that was so, then we have a Jewish and Gentile divide. So now we, again, as Bible interpreters, we have to think, okay, in Paul's context, he didn't have to make these distinctions, right? He's talking to the law at hand was the Mosaic law, so that's what he has to deal with. So now we have to decide, okay, is that just about the Mosaic law? We, he, Paul could say elsewhere, we are justified by another law, a new law, or is he, is he really railing against being justified by any law? And, that, and that's where you have to go to all your scripture and start building the case. There are groups that say the former that say Paul is not talking about justification by law in general. He's talking about the Mosaic law, so we just need to focus on a different law, which we obviously would disagree with. But on the face of it, that is a decision you have to make in the text. Romans 7, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We're here, Paul is using the law in at least one other way, maybe two different ways. There's these, these rules of life, there's these truisms going on in my life. I find it to be a law. I find this to be a truism when I try to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
And then earlier in the passage, he uses law in a different way. So again, as you read through, you have to think. One way to do that is to think, and maybe, hopefully the English translates it, is he talking about a law or the law? Sometimes that's a pointer. So that's just a big picture to show why in our second series, that's one reason why there are differences between Bible-believing Christians who take the Word of God seriously as they try to divide the Word rightly, they come to some different conclusions. All right, so the, really the meat of this is on B. If we don't get to C in our handout, that's fine. And there are handouts there in the back if you don't have one. So I just want to ask, why does God give laws, the general category? Why does he give commands in the first place? And Psalm 19 is just, if you're going to memorize scripture, that's a great place to start. And it's just a great passage to meditate on. And obviously there's a lot of um, parallelism going in there, common with Hebrew poetry. But just to think he's, it's like dissecting the different facets, you know, synonym or um, upon synonym. Yeah, it just, it's a really rich picture. So first of all, remember that the law is a type of word of God. It's a type of revelation. So anything that can be said about God's revelation in general, his word in general, can be said about his laws. If you look at the psalm, the first six verses are are focused on the revelation of God in his creation, what we sometimes call general revelation. Every human being on earth receives his general revelation, one of those being creation. And then the rest of the psalm is focused on his, what we might call special revelation. The fact that his, his law, his word is given to us. We are privileged people. Talk about white privilege. We're going to talk about religious privilege or faith privilege. Special revelation privileged people. That's a privilege. Not every human being on earth has this special word of God. And that word, just like his creation, reveals himself. We know something of him in it. And you can almost see that the psalmist is delighting in both. It's, it's almost a similar reaction in some ways. There's an overlap there. So why do we need revelation? Well, first, we're just naturally ignorant. Verse 8, he says, it enlightens the eyes. It opens my eyes. I, I'm blind. And so I, my, my eyes need light. It, I need to be given knowledge. We rely on revelation. We are not those of the world who believe in just scientific naturalism where we can everything under a microscope is how we learn and science becomes our god and our authority no we we believe we need revelation and we actually pity those our neighbor who don't know christ because we know they need revelation and so we are trying to be part of that means of revelation to them and then we're also naturally evil this might be a hard concept but we are actually culpable for some of the ignorance that we have now, there is such a thing as ignorance that's innocent. I just have never been told. I don't know how to change a carburetor. Sorry, I have no idea. You could say if you're a mechanic, you should have gone and learned it, though, right? <laughs> you're culpable because you're ignorant because you've never tried, right? Um, Romans 1 is, is a passage you might think about. Your, your neighbor will honestly say, I don't believe these things. I don't see a God in creation. And yet we know from Romans 1 that they have suppressed that truth. So actually, they... There's been a disconnect between their inner being. They don't know how deep their spiritual blindness goes. And so they're actually culpable for that ignorance. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. David is very aware that even, even with the best of intentions, he wants to lay bare before God, unfold it, and, and confess his sins. He knows there's still things that are deep within his heart. And he's praying for God to reveal that to him so he can confess it and have a right relationship. 
So we rely on revelation. Very close to that, then, is that truth is objective. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true. His words are true. They, they, they are. He's the God who is, and his, what he says is. It's true. So they come from God. They, his words, his laws never grow out of fashion. It's not like we can progress in our human knowledge and somehow find a better way. No, they're true. And there's nothing about our modern age that, that can change that, uh, no matter how hard they try. And so in the future, in the next few, two series, um, when we talk about what's our place, the church in the world, what we don't want to think is that if, if you're more of a, we should preach the gospel, leave the world to individual um, you know, evangelism type of stuff, as, a, as opposed to an organized church effort, that's fine. That is a, an evangelical position. But what we're not saying in that case is we don't have the right. We don't have the truth that the world needs. That's what they're going to think. Who are you? To, you're, you're not our king. You're not our God. That's, that's not the issue. Now, we might think that maybe it's not our place or our priority as a church, but we certainly have the right because we have the word of God. We have the true objective truth that the world needs. Now it's just a really discussion of what's the right way of going about that. So we'll do that in a few months. And this is not to reject the postmodern critique that, that there is such thing as perspectives. There is such thing as ex lived experience. And um, we, none of us come to the Bible just as these purely objective people. And, you know, we, we can keep our emotions and our experience up. That's not true. Even the language we have is a living language and a translation. So, of course, the, our, our experiences are going to affect us. But we know that there is a truth. And the, the point is that we're after that truth. So we, there will be disagreements about what a law exactly means or what laws apply to today, but we must understand that we are after what God's truth really is and that, and that we want to have an honest pursuit of that. Also, God's laws are revealed in real times and places in his, certain historical contexts. So, for instance, if, even in the Ten Commandments, there's a historical context written there. He's talking about, you know, their ox and... He's talking to a rural people who lived at a certain time, to Israel. It's, it's, you know, it's all in Israel covenant language. And so now one of our challenges as students is, okay, I'm not part of that original audience, so exactly what does it mean for me today? And that's where the controversies come in. Now we want to be careful, because if we want an honest pursuit of what God is saying and meaning for us, we don't want to use it in a way that gets around what we don't like, right? Well, I can write this off. I can, I can fool enough people so that I can get away with this. No, we, we just, we want to figure that out, right? And, and we'll, again, we'll get in that in the second series. But we can't just simply dismiss God or the Bible as an irrelevant document to us today. That's not the point. We're trying to see what, what, what is the heart of his commands uh, and how we would live that out. All right, number three, and very related to the first two. The law instructs us about life. Verse 7, it makes wise the simple. So the laws aren't just commands so you know what to do. They're actually teaching us about life. Uh, and we can look back and look at maybe the purpose of specific commands. Like God was commanding to people who didn't have, you know, good science or anything. That, and actually, in hindsight, it actually protected them. Um, but just as, the, as a son is commanded to obey his father, right? There, there's, there's a way of life where that makes life great and excellent. 
um, and abundant. And so we're actually learning about God and his creation by simply following his commands. Psalm 25 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. So having a command is instructing us in how to live. All right, number four. By giving commands, you're establishing authority. And that's kind of intuitive, right? Uh, it, 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 even if someone's not a legitimate authority, you know, if, if, if you're told to do something, they're clearly projecting authority. It's kind of assumed in the command that I have the right to tell you what to do. This is a little uh, not as explicit in the psalm, but verse 9 talks about the fear of the Lord. Verse 11, your servant. Verse 13, your servant. I, I'm your servant. I'm, I'm, that authority relationship is established. And then verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. So if the precepts of the Lord are right, therefore his authority is actually legitimate. And that's a consideration for all of us because we all have authority roles in the church, in the home, in society, and we do, hopefully, we do our best to be a legitimate authority, but we're not perfect. So the fact that someone gives you a command, the fact that an authority gives you a command, unless it's God himself, is not necessarily perfect. And so the level of obedience, the level of scrutiny might be different. Um, in fact, in our own authority that God gives us, we are really his under-shepherds, and our authority goes back to him. Like we're, we're trying to be authoritative on, on his behalf. So God's word is authoritative above our own conscience, above our opinions, above our experiences, above science. God is king. And so his, his rule, his laws, in the end, are what's right. And so we, we must obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Um, Otherwise, we're, we're establishing ourselves as the ultimate authority. We're deciding what's right in this situation. Uh, we're, we're assuming that our logic is perfect and that our logic must be satisfied. God can't mean this. He can't, because I'm enlightened. I somehow know better. So it must be something else than that. And that, that's a dangerous... Now, now if, if you say that because this verse over here... Now you've got an authority versus authority. Now you were wrangling with scripture and intentions. That's okay. But if it's like, no, I can't accept that. Um, and sometimes that can be hard. What, what are, we need a microphone for this, Greg. Please, when you have a comment. Um, well, I, on this first one's not so important. If you just say, you know, if your comment is less than three words, I'll repeat it. But if it's a longer comment, I need you to have the mic. Um, what are some examples you can think from the Bible uh, where someone obeyed something that didn't make sense. It was very hard for them to do, but they did it or didn't do it anyway. Any, any examples from scripture? Abraham acts sacrificed his son. Perfect one. Uh, he, he, we, we know from Hebrews 11 why he thought he could, but yeah. I mean, it didn't make any sense, to be honest. He's, he wasn't supposed to have a child at his age. He's the covenant line. He's like the whole promise relies on this, and now God wants to end it. Does it make sense? And yet he obeys him. Anyone else? Oh, uh, this is getting too long. We need a mic. You wait. Say that again, please. Okay. Um, it, it was in Judges. This is why the Bible is banned in Boston, you guys. Um, <laughs> 
There were robbers and bad guys and outside the house rallying, and the father threw his daughter outside to them, and she was murdered and worse than that. I think it's Genesis 19 with Lot. Might be it. it, it was, might be one from, in Genesis okay, 2. Either way. It, my, my memory's real sketchy, but I do know that it was from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember the details, but you're right. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, could, some of them even, you could look at Abraham or this case. Not only does that not make sense, it seems to be violating God's own other laws, right? That doesn't make any sense to us. I'd say a, a negative example would be Adam and Eve. I mean, does it doesn't make a whole ton of sense, you know, just to have one tree that you can't eat from. Yeah. Um, you know, doesn't, doesn't make a lick of sense in our minds to have the conditional or the probation uh, for the entire human race come down to a piece of fruit grown from a tree, but those are God's good purposes. And they, you know, they went ahead and, and violated it anyway, setting the stage for all and, of this. And, and <laughs> set it up. Yeah. Well, not to eat of the tree. Uh, what about collecting manna? Like, on the, on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to collect manna on the Sabbath. Like, why not? Like, you're going to collect twice the day prior. I don't know. I was thinking through things. Don't touch the ark if it falls, right? The, the presence of God is falling, and you're not supposed to touch it. And when somebody did, he was killed. Um, walk around Jericho seven times. What? Gideon was told to reduce his army to 300 people. Like, God, this makes no sense. But there's a trust here. There's, a, there's an understanding of God's authority and his knowledge and his wisdom and his goodness. That he knows what he's doing, and we don't presume otherwise. Yeah, Bob? God told Noah to build an ark. He said he's going to destroy the earth with right. the flood. It never had flooded before. I mean, and right. It never rained Great. for that matter. Yeah. And, uh, Probably mocked all the way through it. Right. But Noah, and he's supposed to take, you know, two of, of all the animals on the, on the ark. And, and th that must have seemed really crazy to a lot of folks. And it might have seemed crazy to Noah, too. But at least he obeyed what God wanted him to right. do. Right. And he's in our hall of faith now. Exactly. Because he, he believed what, what couldn't be seen. Okay, let's, let's bring this forward to our own personal day. What, what commands of God are typically, let's, let's be honest, are a bit tough? Are there any commands you're willing to admit that, you know what, this makes no sense, but I'm going to do it anyway? Um, what are some good examples? What are, what are the hard things to follow today? Love your enemy. Love your enemy? Absolutely. I think that was been for all time. Yeah, pray for those who persecute you. I think the uh, the second commandment is difficult in its, especially its interpretation in the shorter catechism and the Westminster Confession concerning pictures of Jesus. Personally, I struggle with that because when I read scripture, I get a picture of Jesus, so it's difficult for me to. Right. And I mean, obviously, I have to concur or express a scruple but it's it's difficult you know it's like I'm committing a sin by putting out this crash with a, a manger and what else all right I got a couple why would I spank my child isn't that physical abuse I mean haven't we learned that we're not harsh savage people does this make sense as a loving father I'm supposed to apply violence and pain to my child 
That's a tough one. Why would God want me to stay married to a husband whom I don't love and doesn't love me? Ouch. We're, we're out of love. It doesn't make any sense. He completely neglects me. Isn't capital punishment murder? That just makes no sense. Why would God say that the state has the right of the sword? We're not supposed to kill people. Yeah, he did. He, she says God killed a lot of people. The question then, I guess, would be, are we to be part of that? But the, I'm with you. I'm just, yep, microphone. God loves us, and we're despicable. I mean, we, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that makes no sense how he could, how he could love us, but he does. We, yep. we, you know, we can take that to the bank because it's in his word. He. That's right. So yeah, we should probably stop relying so, too much on our logic because it might get get, of gr- get so rid of grace. <laughs> if he can love us when we're so unlovable, we ought to be able to love people that that we think less of than uh, exactly. Than that. And those are, those are the type of truths that even if we still don't understand, that kind of brings it home, helps bring it home. Um, yeah, in, in two weeks we'll ask the question, you know, if you're in World War II Germany hiding Jews and the Nazis come to your door, are you going to tell the truth? Like, there's a challenge. We'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, number five. Uh, the law defines and reveals love and sin. I kind of want to put these together. It, we, we talk about this a lot, that the, the law uncovers our sin. Um, so in the negative sense, it shows us our sin. Um, verses 11 to 13. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And we know Romans 7, 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law uncovers our sin. We, we wouldn't really understand that law is not counted when there, or sin is not counted when there's no law. There's no accrediting, but even, even a knowledge to ourselves. So it kind of goes back to that revelation. The law helps us reveal our own sin. We're not even aware of it until we find out that God says, don't do that. Oh. Um, but on the positive side, I would say the exact opposite then is that it also tells us what love is like. So in our next series, we'll talk about, you know, are the two greatest commandments good enough? Love God and love neighbor. Do we need any other commandments? That's what some people believe. But certainly, whatever God's commands are that are still in force for us today are all bottom line, love God and love neighbor. So it teaches us our sin and the negative, and then teaches us what love looks like. We're commanded to love, so now what does that mean? You could say that to anyone on earth, and they're going to come up with, well, I think love is this. I think love is this. Um, So we kind of need a little more definition. You're familiar with Romans 13, commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Number six, love, the law expresses God's grace. So this might turn us a little bit because we're law versus gospel, right? We want to distinguish those. But law, if, if God is true and given his command, he's a gracious God, then the law is somehow part of that gracious act, even when it doesn't make sense. Romans 7 again, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 11, in keeping them there is great reward. It's a, it's a blessing. Psalms talk about this a lot. It's, 
the, the laws of God are a path of blessing if we could only follow them, right? That's, that's the challenge, right? The, they're instructing us. They're telling us about life. They're telling us how life would be lived well um, if we could just follow them. And so there, there's a blessing to that. There's, we've even talked about there's somehow a relationship to, to assurance that comes with obedience. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. James 1, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are blessed in following God's law. Number seven, reflects God's character as creator, uh, and, and more than creator. It, it reflects God's character is the bottom line. Again, Psalm 25 that I read, make me to know your ways, O Lord. These are your ways. These aren't just ways. These, these aren't just arbitrary things. They're yours. First Peter 1, is he who called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We are, our, our call to be holy is a reflection of God's very holy, holiness. You'll get this with some of the specific commands in Exodus 20. You shall not make yourself for a carved image, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The command is tied to something that's true about God himself. I remember when I was in, uh, in college, um, I was a math engineering kind of guy, but I had to take this philosophy class. And uh, I was a brand new Christian. And so I was like, I'm doing everything. I don't know why, but I'm doing it all, and I'm going to tell everybody. Um, so, so I wish I still had some of that in me. Um, but the philosophy professor asked a question. It's a, it's a really good question. Like, if, are the laws of God arbitrary? Like, so how did he phrase it? He said, are, does God give laws because they're true, because they're good things, therefore there's a truth outside of God, right? God is telling us something that's already true, and it didn't come from him. Or is he telling us to do things just because he wants to, and therefore the laws are arbitrary? So in his mind, it was an atheist slam dunk. doesn't make any sense to have God, because either God is appealing to a higher authority and giving us that truth, or he's just being arbitrary. I didn't have the language, and all I said at the time was, I think I got an F on the assignment because I refused to. I said, just because we don't understand God doesn't mean we don't have to follow him. <laughs> a, a better answer would have been now, well, no, it's none of those true. These laws flow from his character. It is his truth that's displayed in, in his commands. Now, uh, we will come up with the, the moral civil ceremonial type of categories where moral we would say reflect God's character directly. But civil and ceremonial laws, if we don't follow those anymore, did they not reflect God's character? So that's a question we'll ask in the next series. But in general, we can say that law reflects God's character. It also reflects, uh, the part of that is number eight, reflects our character as his creatures. Ephesians 4, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him or were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So as we are being sanctified, and there, there are practices in our lives that are being changed invisibly, like people can see it. Uh, let the thief no longer steal, but let him you know, work hard with his hands and give to those in need. It's a complete transformation of life in Christ. Really what's going on is just a renewal. We're being renewed in the image of our creator. Um, 
And so our reflection then of the, our, our, of our following commands is, is, a, is a revelation of God and his truth, and it's also a demonstration of, of the transformation that has taken place in our hearts through Christ. As I said, the psalmist delights with similar language of both creation and his law, and so we, we are a, new, a renewed creation. To follow his law is, creation and law aren't separate. They're distinct. You can talk about separate, but they're really one and the same. It's all a new creation. So many things I want to say on that. If the law reflects God's character, th- th- this was maybe a new thing. I'll bring in the book next week I've been reading, Delighting in the Law of God by Barr, a Covenant Seminary professor. If the law reflects God's character, and we're made in God's image, then the law was made for us. It, it, it fits perfectly, right? If, so God displays his character in creation. He displays it in his word. And now he displays it in us as new creatures. There's such a symbiotic relationship. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but like everything goes together. It's shalom. It all fits perfectly. Um, we, we are made for his law. Like, true humanity, true humanness is to follow God's law. The mantra of the age is to, you know, be true to yourself. And what many people mean by that is don't follow the customs, don't follow the traditions, don't follow the norms. Be true to yourself. Well, God created you for a purpose. He created you with certain ways of thinking and and to live well and to, to rule this life well. To be true to yourself is to follow God's law. That's the exact same thing. Your true self, true humanity, is to obey God and to submit to him and not to chase after self-autonomy. That's not human at all. It's sinful. It's not human. The problem, of course, is we're weak, right? Romans 8.3, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The problem isn't the law. The problem is us, (laughs) So the law, the law had its purpose, but the law can't redeem. It can't save. That's what God had to do in his son. But don't, don't take that out on the law. <laughs> Paul gets more into this in, in Romans 7, right? It's, is that which is good become death to me? By no means. It wasn't what was good that was the problem. It's me. I'm the problem. You can, you can spin off into certain things. Psalm 51, 12. So... David is confessing his sins and wanting forgiveness. And there's a, just a sweet verse in there, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because breaking your law and sinning has created a relational gap here that needs to be filled. I can get objective forgiveness, and that's good. But, you know, why, do, why are we supposed to pray daily for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? Weren't we forgiven on the cross? Yes, objectively we were forgiven. But forgiveness is also a restoration of relationship. And so, again, true humanity, coming back to our creator uh, in fullness. Forgiveness is important to that, to, to come back together and, and reunite the way they were in the garden. And then the ninth is a covenantal relationship. I don't know. I've not thought of this. I'm not a covenant expert. Um, I, I think it's true to say that covenant always has law attached to it. I don't know if it's true to say law always has a covenant in mind. I think you can pretty much say that. Every, every creature on earth has some relationship to God, right? It's, 
law of works or the covenant of works uh, or it's a covenant of grace type of relationship, right? Some, somehow there's a relationship with God, but for instance, in Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments are given and, and the whole law is given, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So these laws, again, are not some arbitrary list. They're not just practical ways of keeping them from getting diseases. That's all part of it. Um, they are given in a, in a covenantal relationship, um, and that's always important to remember. Right, we've got a few minutes. So let me ask, um, so we said that, so we have a lot of reasons why the law was given, but we also know that God's authority is enough, right? If we don't understand, we still obey. So is it ever good to say, because I told you so? That's my question, and we have a mic. <laughs> what, is that, I mean, I'm sure you've said it. I'm sure you heard it growing up. Is it ever to say, you know, I'm the authority, you're doing this because I told you so. Is that good or bad? Um, I, so I'm a teacher, and I love to um, show the students the reason behind stuff and make them understand in a deep way, but there are some things that um, they don't have the tools to understand the reasons behind them yet, and so I pull rank. <laughs> Every once in a while in my class. Well, that's why we can call God Abba Father, because he's our spiritual head, and what he says is true. Amen. So we need to just obey Abba Father. I thought you were going to throw it down the aisle. I have a comment. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's an inside-outside relationship. If we're obeying the law because it comes out of us through God's Spirit, it's not like it comes outside, I do this, therefore I'm blessed. It's His Spirit in us convicts us, and we want to obey the law. We That's just the don't ideal. have the faculties <laughs> to do it Amen. without Amen. Christ. I think the, the idea of I told you so is, um, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's good and bad. There is a, there is a sense in which uh, I, as a father, will allow leeway for my children to make mistakes. But then, as Lois was saying, there are areas where I'm like, no, like I I know better than you, and I'm going to stop you from doing this thing that it, <laughs> that will wreak havoc to right. you know um, to you. So I I think it. it I told you so. Sounds bad because like we nobody wants to be told so. Um, but uh, I, there, there's a sense in which I told you so is a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Galatians 3 talks about how the law was a, a tutor. So, and Galatians 4 talks about when you were children, you needed this detailed instruction. And so, the, and the question we'll deal with in the next series is, okay, we're, now we're, we've come to maturity, as it were, in Paul's language. And so, certainly, there are times with children, right, or people who don't know anything, um, that's good and appropriate. And so it's good in that sense, but then th it would be bad if you continued to, you know, if you talk to your 18-year-old or your 28-year-old the same way you talk to your 8-year-old, that's a problem, right? You're actually, you're creating, we'll talk about this more next week, you're creating infantilism, right? You're, you're keeping them. And so the, there are contexts where it's good, but in the fullness of God's scriptures, as you, as you mature in your faith, God is gracious. He gives us all these reasons. He doesn't have to. He could just say, do this. 
He didn't have to tell us why, but he clearly has a reason. Like, a fuller, better relationship is going to be developed, um, understanding. So that's, that's our goal long-term with people, is to explain the why and not just get stuck. It's very lazy to say, I told you so. Um, I guess the other thing I would think of is there might be an immediate context. When I was flying fighters, you know, we'd say, be directive, then descriptive. Break, break left flare. If I hear that, I'm not asking why, because if I think about it, I'm going to get swacked with a missile, right? If you do it now, and then we can talk about why later. Um, so there's, maybe there's an urgency that you need to have, and you need to be curt and to the point. Yeah. I don't hear it. We know we need a sound on the mic. Hello. <laughs> the whole Bible is about God saying things that we don't understand. His sovereignty. Uh, I have a book called by A.W. Pink called The Sovereignty of God, I mm. believe is the title. Yep. And I've had the book for 40 years, and I've started reading it just in the last couple of months. But in the first couple of chapters, he, he lists all the things in the Bible that seem contradictory, and yet every one of those, any, any one of those and every one of those, if... Uh, considered apart from God's sovereignty is an atheistic thought. Um, all the things that like God says, because I told you so, mm. he doesn't come out and say that, but that's the truth. And anything apart from that is taking us right back to, well, maybe there is no God or something right. like exactly. that. Exactly. So, yeah, ultimately uh, by, by not agreeing with him, you're, you're making yourself God. Yes, your yeah, exactly right, which is what Adam and Eve did. All right, so this last group, I, we won't get in detail, and, and the ones I need to cover, I'll cover again next week, but so we've kind of hit a lot of these already. Um, we, we ought to see the commandments as good, and we ought to pursue that, and if we're not seeing that, then, then let's take time and, and understand why that's our initial reaction. You know, when I see a cop on the road, I don't have positive thoughts. And that guy's doing nothing wrong. <laughs> it's all me, right? That's not, we, same thing with God and his commands. Um, clearly, we, we're not justified um, by the law. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Why didn't Israel succeed by obeying the Mosaic Covenant? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Problem wasn't the law. That wasn't the purpose of the law. They should have pursued the law by faith, but they pursued it by works. So simply knowing the truth is not going to enable us to follow it. Education is not the final answer. It's good. All I can do is reveal sin, right? A, a mirror can tell you what you look like, but it can't clean you, right? You can't rub it on you and clean you. It has its purpose. We're never going to earn God's righteousness by being right about his law. You might be writer than me on where I stand on the continuity of the, of the law, and it doesn't make you in any better relationship with God, right? Knowing these things isn't enough. We talk about that all the time, but I don't want to go without it being said. Um, this is something we're going to explore in the next series, discerning God's ultimate and underlying desire. You know, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken a contrite heart. It wasn't really about the, the bowls and the offerings. There was something beyond that. And yet they were supposed to follow those specific commands. So we, as we deal with moral law and abiding laws, we're going to do that whole concept of 
What is the real law underneath that law? And although I said there's blessing by obedience, there's no quid pro quo relationship. There's no, I do this and you bless me. That's right out. And so there's a little bit of a tension there. We covered this in the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the rewards of heaven and how Christians see those verses in a little bit different way. Certainly we are not hand-tying God to blessing us in a certain way. Colossians 2, just one more minute here. These human precepts and teachings have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So wherever we come out on what we think God's commands are for today, there's, there's still a legalistic way of approaching that. All right, now I have my new list, and I'm going to approach that list in a new way. No, what's at the heart of all that? You, you have an indulgence of the flesh that needs to be stopped. You have a heart problem that needs to be arrested. And the last thing is, uh, we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's not, again, it's not a new written code. We don't want to just replace written code to written code. There's a new approach to law, and we'll deal with that more next week. And so I'll leave you rhetorically now. You know, in what ways do you struggle to view the law positively and be able to say, I delight in the law of God? Um, that's worth talking about. If you're going out to lunch, it's a good question to be talking about. Or community groups, if those are still happening, <laughs> um, do that. So let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your law. We thank you for your revelation. We thank you for creation. We thank you for every way. We thank you for our conscience. And above all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the perfect revelation of grace and truth and mercy and law. That he was a perfect man and kept the law perfectly in our place. Help us to know what it means to love him, to follow him, to delight in him, to, to have hearts full of gratitude uh, and enjoy our covenant relationship with you and live that out. Help us, Father, to not think of the law in a negative way. Uh, help us to not use it wrongly, but help us to even find blessing and obedience and following it. At all times, Father, drive us to Christ. Drive us to our Savior um, who knows us better than we know ourselves, who will never turn us away. Uh, and we may be renewed on this uh, Lord's Day. To that relationship be renewed now in all of our worship and in the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.